Do you ever feel like you're struggling in your prayer life? Do your prayers ever feel like less of a real conversation with God and more of a performance? If that's you right now, you're not alone. Millions of fellow Christians, including pastor and author Kevin DeYoung, are right there with you. In our interview today, I'm talking with Kevin about our common struggle to pray and how the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus offered as a model for our prayer, can help us to pray to God day in and day out. Kevin serves as the pastor of Christ Covenant Church and is the author of numerous books, including The Lord's Prayer, Learning from Jesus on What, Why, and How to Pray from Crossway. Let's get started. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on the Crossway Podcast. Great to be here. So you open your new book on the Lord's Prayer with a rhetorical question. Is there any activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian life than prayer? Do you often feel like you're struggling in your prayer life? I often feel like I'm struggling in my prayer life, and I dare say most of the people in my church feel like Mm. they're struggling in their prayer life. I think there are certain, a few things in the Christian life that we know we're supposed to do, and we constantly feel like we're failing. I think evangelism is one. Uh, generosity might be another, parenting, but certainly prayer could be at the top of the list. I mean, how many of us, and I'm sure I've said this as a pastor, you know, you never get to the end of your life at the hospital bed and feel like, I wish I had prayed less. No, Mm. you always wish you had prayed more, which, which, which is true. And so we want to be inspired and motivated to, to pray. And we know that prayer is important for the Christian. And yet, boy, yeah, I, I feel like even, the, you know, the days where I'm I'm knocking it out and I'm doing it, oh, did that really feel like something? And mm. then, then you, you miss your quiet time, devotional time, or it's gone stale, or there's all sorts of ways where you just have, you hear the stories of Martin Luther, and he had to, on a busy day, he had to pray for four hours before he went. And and I know some of those, I mean, I, I know a, in, in older pastor brother who, I mean, really, he's one of those guys who really did pray for four hours a day. That's not my story, at least yeah. not yet in my life. So it's easy to be discouraged, and yet we know we should pray. Yeah. So um, in light of what we know about prayer, it's this incredible, when you stop and think about prayer, it's this amazing, mind-blowing privilege that we have. Um, but we all know that, um, and yet we still struggle with to, to actually do it consistently. Um maybe going beyond just the, the obvious answer that it's because of indwelling sin and, you know, we, we still struggle with all kinds of things. Have you, have you diagnosed any specific issues in maybe how we think about prayer or just how we're wired in all your years as a pastor and as a, a teacher? And uh, can you help us understand the why uh, we struggle like that so often? Mm-hmm. I forget who said it. I'm sure lots of people have, but prayerlessness is unbelief. And I think we we tend to go at prayer and talk about the will. I must do more prayer. And the will is certainly involved, and prayer is a spiritual discipline. There's a reason it's called a discipline, because just like you don't always wake up and feel like going to the gym or going on a run, but you do it because you know that is good for you. Well, spiritual disciplines can feel a little bit like that. But if we just focus on the will, I must do this more. We're missing the more important part, 
which is the element of faith. And I say prayerlessness is unbelief because when we don't pray, and let me personalize it, when I don't pray, Mm. it is an expression, one, that I don't believe that God is powerful enough to really help me, or two, I don't believe he's really good enough to care, or both of those things. My kids ask me for things all the time. (laughs) They need rides to their friend's house. They want to go out to eat. They want a pony. They want all (laughs) sorts of things. And I'm sinful, so I get annoyed by it. And they're sinful, so they ask selfish things sometimes. And just for the record, in case someone didn't hear our last conversation, you have nine children. I have nine children. So that's lots of requests. Lots of requests. I have zero ponies. Yeah, okay. Uh, But we do have a hamster, two cats, and recently a chicken for some reason. (laughs) So I must say yes to some things. But the fact that they ask me means they think their dad can get them things. Mm. And they must think that sometimes I say yes to their requests. I'm not an ogre. So as much as it could be frustrating with all the requests, it does say something good about what they believe about me. Yeah. And when I don't come to my Heavenly Father and pray, it says something about what I'm struggling to believe. So prayer is as much as anything. It is the fight of faith mm. to believe that when we pray, we're not just exercising nice little spiritual soliloquies. I can feel like that sometimes. Well, it's just a nice spiritual speech. Almost like you have to perform for God. That's right. That's right. Or for other people. If we're praying in the context with other people, you need to know how to pray, and you're nervous about it, that God is judging our prayers, rather than the first thing Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. I'm talking to my Father, Mm. and He loves to hear from me. Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, you recall uh, a time early in your pastoral ministry where you read uh, another famous book on prayer, um, and you found it, I think, a little bit encouraging at first, but then you say that it it ironically had kind of this demotivating effect on you and your prayer life uh, as you finished it. Can you explain kind of what happened? Yeah. Well, I'll just say it was E.M. Bounds on prayer, and he's got a lot of books on prayer, I'm not telling you not to read Ian Bounds on prayer, but I've had other people. In fact, other I don't think I mentioned in the book who it was. No, but, I don't think so. But I had somebody else, maybe when I was preaching to the sermons, who said, were you talking about Ian Bounds? Because <laughs> I read his. And they're great little books in one sense that is just about how important prayer is. And it, it, it's that hammering on the will, feeling like, yes, I should pray. Great Christians, pray. How can I not? pray. But at least for me, it, it didn't last for very long. So I, I say in the book, I think there are, there are some books or sermons or messages that make you feel like I ought to pray. And then the better ones make you feel like I, I can pray. Mm. And not just I need to pray, I must pray, but I want to pray. And uh, I'm not saying that I've necessarily written that book, but I know that that's what I resonate with is a sense of, oh, I could do this. God wants to hear from me. Uh, This isn't as complicated as maybe I thought, and God is more gracious than I've remembered. And yes, sometimes we just need to be convicted. You're not praying. Okay, that's, that's true. But if the books on prayer just hammer page after page, you ought to pray. We already know that, 
And that is short-lived because when it comes down to it, we need to really want to do mm, it. Yeah. So, so you've put yourself out there now in writing this book on prayer. Uh, so I guess history will show how people feel about <laughs> maybe, maybe. this. But, but what, what is it about the Lord's Prayer in particular as the focus of this book that you think will go a long way towards helping us want to pray? Yeah, I, I hope it will, and I hope it will be salutary in my own life. Even backing up for a minute, the, when Jesus talks about prayer, the number one command he gives us relative to prayer is ask. Mm. Ask, seek, knock, ask. It, uh, yes, we can pray in bad ways, but Jesus wants us to hear loud and clear would, would you come to your heavenly father? Would you ask him for things? We don't want to picture God as hat in hand. He's just desperate. He's lonely. Of course he's not. But he is a good heavenly father, and he's eager to hear from us. And the Lord's Prayer in particular is really instructive because think of what Jesus didn't say. The disciples want to know how they should they say, pray. say, teach us to pray. Yeah, teach us to pray. Now, Jesus didn't say, Here's the position, you know, you pray toward Jerusalem. Here's your posture. You got to be on your knees or your hands are uplifted and there's different posture. He didn't say that. He didn't say, here's how many minutes each day. Or you ought to do it at this time of day. If you don't do it before the sun's up, you're not a real Christian. No one's going to write about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, here's, let me, t- let me tell you how to pray. And he starts by reminding us what we've just been talking about, our Father. Mm. The first thing you need to remember is you're talking to the God of the universe who is your father. And that's the enticement to pray. Of course, my father has good things for me and I want to talk to him about it. Yeah. So we all know that God the Father doesn't have a biological gender, right? He's spirit. He doesn't have a body like we do, like Jesus does. And yet uh, Jesus calls him and directs us to call him father. Should we assign any significance to that? Uh, is, there, is there something going on there that, that is important, revealing about God? It's very important that, first of all, our triune God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what you say about each person distinctly is that the Father is the one who begat the Son and that the Son is eternally begotten from the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Those theological languages, subsistences. Uh, and the language of Father is significant. It's not, now people are sometimes, well, but there are, sometimes doesn't the Bible in a few places use female imagery? It's maternal for God. imagery. Maternal, yes, uh, a, a, a hen with her chicks or a tender as a nursing mother. And yeah, there are, there are a handful. We're, we're not opposed to what the Bible says. And yet, when it names God, when it gives titles to God, not metaphors and different images that point to different characteristics, but God has so chosen to name himself mm. as king, not queen, as husband, not wife, as father, not mother, and that is important. I know, you know, there's people that have all sorts of bad experiences with Father, but what we must do is not interpret God according to our experiences, but learn to reinterpret our experiences according yeah. to who God 
is. I wanted to ask about that because it's, it's easy for you to say that. It's easy to hear that. Um, but but what about the person who's listening who, who would say, I get that intellectually, but emotionally, when I approach this passage, when I, when I approach Christian theology and I hear God as my father, uh, there's just so much painful, mm. maybe even abusive baggage that comes with that. Mm. How would you counsel that person if you were their pastor? Yeah, first you listen and you ask questions and, and, and you sympathize that that's, that's real. And those of us who had good earthly fathers mm. benefit from that. And many people didn't have a father or had very bad fathers all the way to really abusive fathers. So we need to take seriously that it's really hard. And so it, it may be for people that it, it takes a lot of teaching and it takes time to get there. But I'd want them to see what what are we missing about how God has chosen to reveal himself? Mm. And how can we try to reinterpret even your story that the father you had, who was so unlike the heavenly father, maybe we need to throw that in relief to, to see what true fatherhood mm. looks like. Yeah. And maybe even get to a point to gently challenge and say, with all of the, the ways that your father sinned against you, all of the things that he he did to you that still have hard effects in your life, let's not add to that that his sin against you now means that you can't relate to God as he... that That's giving to our earthly parents mm. the sort of power that they shouldn't have. And I know that's very hard to overcome, but we want to see... no. Your sinful dad should not have that ability to reimagine what God is because of his sin. Mm. God has chosen to reveal himself. And if we, we don't, you know, a, a bad father was probably, many of them bad in some ways because they were abusive in their authority, whether that's actual physical abuse or just uh, some other levels of it. And yet if we lose the image of a father and God so naming as a father, we lose that God means to communicate that he comes to us with the right kind of authority. Mm. Jesus, at the end, the end of the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. We live in a very anti-authoritarian age, sometimes for made-up reasons, sometimes for very painful, real, personal reasons. But God is a God of authority, and if we don't relate to him as one of authority, we're not relating to God as he truly mm. is. Yeah, it's amazing. In that single word, Father, is wrapped up. It's just that the kind of the two poles or the, the two complementary dynamics yeah. of authority and love. Yeah, of, of care and of authority. I mean, there's a reason that the Scripture says fathers do not exasperate your children because that's what fathers mm. can be prone to. And there's a reason that the fathers are given the instruction to discipline, that Paul in First Timothy, on the one hand, he relates, we were tender among you like a nursing mother. There's something about tenderness that, of course, we're all supposed to be tender, but is distinctive, uh, and it's especially captured by a nursing mother. And then when Paul says, I exhorted you, Thessalonians, he says, like a father, because there's something particularly paternal about exhortation and about instruction and about discipline. And we need to relate to God as one who disciplines those he loves. Mm, yeah. Let's look at another phrase in the Lord's Prayer, uh, that phrase, hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed, 
means honored and revered and respected and glorified. Uh, it's kind of a, this appeal that God would, would do that for himself. And I was once talking to a younger Christian who was kind of learning about God's desire, his passion for his own glory, to borrow a, a Piper term. Mm-hmm. And I remember him asking, why is God so concerned about his own glory? Why does he care so much about what we feeble creatures mm. think about him? And, and how would you respond to that question? Because we, we see that baked right into Jesus' prayer right. for us. And to realize that's not an ascription, God's glory, it's, a, it's the first petition. Mm. It's the petition that overarches all the other petitions. God, in everything else that I'm about to pray, make your name great. To use a, a Piper illustration, which is so helpful, he says we, we're praying for God to glorify his name not as a microscope makes small things look bigger, but as a telescope brings unimaginably large things to view. Mm. So we're not saying, God, hallow your name because you need a PR agent, you yeah. need some rebranding, you need to... You, no, we're saying God is the Andromeda galaxy, and if we get the Hubble telescope, we can see something of it. And Piper's been so good to, you know, his his famous saying that God is most uh, glorified and we are most satisfied in him. So God pursuing his own glory is not antithetical to our joy. To see God for who he Mm. really is and understand him and to delight in who God really is, is to work for what is our good. So it's not an egomaniac. It's not a megalomaniac deity who's up there and just, I need everyone to worship me. He's deserving of worship. And in the worship of this God, in the delight of this God, we will find the reason that we were put on this earth. Mm, yeah. One, one final phrase from the Lord's Prayer to, to look at together. Lead us not into temptation. Why do we need to pray this? Is this suggesting or implying that if we don't ask God of this, that he might lead us into temptation? Yeah, there's lots of commentary on this. Okay, does God sometimes then lead us into temptation? Temptation is an interesting word in the Bible in that sometimes the, the same Greek word is translated temptation, other times it's trials. So if we think, uh, and that's in James 1 in particular, but James says very clearly, God does not tempt anyone. So if we think of trials, we may mean God, you know, deliver me from suffering. If we're thinking about enticements to sin, that's not what God ever does. And yet we pray, lead us not into temptation as a euphemistic way of saying what the next thing, you know, deliver us Delivers from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. They're getting at the same sort mm. of thing. God, God, don't be the God who brings me into trouble. Bring me the be the God who brings me out of trouble. Yeah, is what we're essentially asking. And I am often convicted by that petition in particular because I think how many days if do do I live where I don't pray that. And I think we're meant to connect it with, give us this day our daily bread and lead us not to to temptation, deliver us from the evil one. That just as we pray daily for bread, I think we're supposed to pray daily for this deliverance because there's never a day 
where I'm not going to face temptation. There's never a day where the the the, the devil is not at war mm. with God's people. And so if we just go into every day and think, yeah, I'm I'm safe. Yeah. I'm okay. No. Every day, whether we see it or not, there there's landmines, there's a battlefield, there's dangerous precipices. And so every day we need God help me. And just the simple act of praying that is part of the answer itself. It's mm. God reminding us, you can't go through this alone. You need me for food. You need me for sustenance. You need me for protection. You need me for everything. You're needier and you're in more trouble than you think. Yeah, yeah. One other passage that came to mind as I was thinking about this petition uh, is Matthew 4. Uh, we have the story of Jesus uh, being tempted in the desert by Satan. And Matthew 4, 1 is, is very interesting, the language. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you think there's any connection there? Do you see any kind of, uh, I feel like there's similar similar language. Uh, is there a connection there where Jesus is led by God, in a sense, to be tempted, in, in, in so that we don't need to be facing that? We can be protected from that? Do you see anything there? Yeah, I mean, that's really good. And he's led up in... To be tempted. So it's not God enticing him with sin, but there's a lot of rich biblical theology going on there. So one is you have in Matthew's gospel, you have all of this kind of Moses typology. Yeah. That just as hair, uh, you know, just as there was a king who was jealous, who was, who was after the boys, and Moses had to flee, so Herod is after Jesus. And just as Moses led the people through the Red Sea, Jesus is the new Moses and, and through the waters of baptism. And then Moses goes and he's in the wilderness for 40 years and Jesus is going to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. But there's also Adam typology. Mm. And that really gets to your, your point. Uh, so there's the Moses typology because what happens after he comes through the 40 days in the wilderness? He goes up on a mountain and he really he gives the law, gives the in a law. sense. He gives the Sermon on the Mount, just like Moses. But there's also that Christ is meant to recapitulate Adam. So Adam was given the probationary tree, and he failed. And now we're all in Adam. So Christ is going to succeed where the first Adam failed. So mm. there is a real sense. Yes, we are tempted in our, in our lives, and so we need to continue to pray that, and the devil's at work, and our own sin entices us in a way that, of course, Christ doesn't have a sin nature. But insofar as Christ was the second Adam, mm. to succeed where the first Adam failed, then our fleeing of temptation and being delivered from the it is not in our own strength, but is in accord with Christ accomplishing this victory for us. Mm, yeah. Maybe a couple of final questions. Uh, what advice would you give to the person who struggles to pay attention in prayer? That's one of those common experiences that we all have in prayer. Our mind, we, we've set aside the time, we've sat down in our favorite chair, you know, the house is quiet, maybe it's early in the morning, and we, we try to start praying, and then we find our minds wandering all over the place. Do you have any strategies that you've found are helpful in that? There's a book I read years ago by David Hansen called Long Wandering Prayer. Mm. And I remember he talks about the different kinds of prayer. There, there's a place for wandering prayer. And 
sort of the biblical, one of the passages I think he talked about was Psalm 55, which goes in and out of the psalmist, sort of first person, second person. It's almost like, and it's a prayer there, it's almost like his prayer sometimes is thinking our thoughts towards God. (laughs) So I think there's a daily cadence where that requires some discipline, whether it's prayer cards or reading prayers, uh, some discipline of I'm praying. And then there are times, I think, to allow for that long wandering prayer. So, you know, very practically, I find if I can speak out loud, that helps. I find that you need to prepare. Think about it this way. How many of us can get out of bed 10 minutes later, even if you got coffee, uh, and just if somebody said, okay, I want you for 20 minutes, go. Just talk meaningfully about something. <laughs> Hardly any of us are going to do that. Right. You need preparation. So that means some prayer cards, some, you know, I have certain things. Every Monday I pray for these couple of things or these things. Or are these like th- written on three-by-five cards? Yeah, sometimes three-by-five cards or, you know, a little moleskin book that you open up. And, mm. okay, this is the day that I pray for the church. These are the day I pray for my elders. So certain things. Or... Sing a hymn. Pray through the Psalms. I've done that before. I just try to put a psalm into my own language. Uh, Ben Patterson, I got this from him. He's praying scripture. He gave three R's. Repent, rejoice, request. You can open up any part of scripture. The Psalms probably the easiest. And you can find something to repent of for you or others, to rejoice in what God has done, and to request, to ask something. So there's lots of little things like that that just help you. And then understand yeah, you are you are going to wander, and that's the human <laughs> finite nature. And I go on walks. Uh, it helps me not to sleep. It means that if I go out 15 minutes, I got to come back 15 <laughs> minutes. And a lot of that is is wandering times. So I try to set aside time where I'm going to write down. Here's 10 things. I just I haven't had time to really just sort of wander around about for mm. an hour or a day and take a prayer day and go and do it. And when God brings you back, you know, don't, uh, you know, yeah. so stupid. How uh, do you fight that discouragement? That Like that, the sense of I failed. Uh, I didn't do a good job here, whether it's because my mind wandered or maybe even it's like, oh, I've missed, I haven't really prayed intentionally for four days. How do you deal with that? So the quick, you know, I think of the story in, is it uh, Joshua chapter 7? There's the sin of Achan, and they have to find out who stole the stuff, and they were defeated. And, and then Joshua finds out, and he's on the ground, and he's, oh, Lord, he's, he's groveling. He's <laughs> and I love the way that you know, God tells him, okay, get up, <laughs> make it right. God is not interested in you groveling. Hmm. So, okay, you didn't pray like you wanted to. You missed a week of prayer. God's interested in repenting for sure. God, I'm sorry, or God, uh, help me to do better. He's not interested in you groveling. And sometimes if we're honest, we can feel like, well, if I feel really bad about it for long enough, that must be somehow earning me something with God. Mm. No, no, get up. So the illustration I give before, I won't try to do my Southern accent, but you know the movie Gettysburg and... uh, Jeb Stewart probably didn't happen. I don't know, but like this, he comes back to General Lee, and he's yeah. 
he's let them down because he was gone. And General Lee is, says to Jeb Stewart, you are the eyes and the ears of this army. Now, it's a bad Southern accent in the movie, too. <laughs> and, and Jeb Stewart is trying to hand in his sword. And like, I've let you down. I failed. And Martin Sheen, who's playing General Lee, just says, I have no time for this. I have mm. no time for this. And he says, you're one of my best generals. Put back your sword. Get in the fight. And I think we're like that with Christians. As Christians, oh, I failed. Here's my sword. And God is saying, no, 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 stop. I, I don't have time for that. I, you need to take this like a man. You messed up. Now get back in the fight. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us about prayer generally, the Lord's Prayer in particular, and uh, I think encouraging all of us to to get back in the fight, to jump back on that horse, so to speak, mixing all kinds of lots of, of good, metaphors. L- lots here. of good metaphors, yeah. yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I need help in my prayer life like everyone else, and hopefully this book can help, and if it even just gets us thinking and praying the Lord's Prayer, that would be a blessing. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. That was Kevin DeYoung on Praying the Lord's Prayer. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, The Lord's Prayer, Learning from Jesus on What, Why, and How to Pray. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.